Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nachang Rumshe. Chapter 15, Part 1. The Rat Who Came Back. A year had passed in which I'd been the artist I enjoyed to be and tried to be the Nakpa I strove to be. The conclusion of the Dujumter Troma Nundro was in sight and I knew that I could return to Kyabje Dujum Rimshe having fulfilled what I had been entrusted to fulfil. It had taken some work beyond the practice as I'd had to get the text translated in Nepal. That took a deal of time, especially when the translations came back in Tibetan Uchen script and English. There'd been no phonetic version in Roman script to chant, and so I had to laboriously produce it myself. It was laborious because although transliterating Tibetan text to Roman text wasn't difficult, working out that Sapral Suku was Tulku and Brukyang Fyag was Kyangchag took a great deal of time. I had books on Tibetan grammar, but they were diabolically difficult to understand. There's nothing like perseverance, however, and with the application of sheer jaw-grinding willpower, I accomplished it. We were to go to spend a week at Windlecombe Hall, Windlecombe, Devonshire. It was to be a printmaking course, and I was, of course, thoroughly delighted by the prospect. I'd enjoyed the printmaking course at Nettlemere Court at the end of the first year, and so this next week-long foray was going to be equally as delightful. Etching is a magical art, and the thought of devoting a week to it was a cause of great happiness to me. Using hydrochloric acid to eat into a zinc plate is somehow primeval. The etched out channels and pit marks in the zinc plate hold ink which is then transferred to watercolour paper by being pressed under several tonnes of roller operated by long wooden arms like a huge ship's wheel. The result is intriguing, both delicate and dramatic. Etching produces strong images that can nevertheless be highly intricate and subtle. Todd Welcome and Veranda Nugent were somewhat less than enthusiastic at the prospect because it seemed to them like the intrusion of fine art. They'd not enjoyed the excursion to Nettlemere Court at the end of the first year because their draughtsmanship and aptitude with etching had not exactly caused wonder in anyone. Janet Coleridge and Stephanie Lytton Chatfield had been the heroines of that event. And, I suppose, my efforts with mezzotint had also been applauded. To me, the intrusion of fine art was always welcome, so I was eager. To set out. 
The first signs of Todd and Veranda seeking to skip the event came when Roderick Peters found he was unable to accompany us. This was due to personal circumstances which required him to remain in Bristol. It was decided that Derek Crow would replace him as our accompanying lecturer. That didn't seem to suit Todd and Veranda, but they were discreet enough not to pass comment on Derek Crow. They were probably aware that Derek was well loved by all of us and any adverse reflection on him would not be warmly received by the others in our year. They seemed to see Derek as an old fogey, even though they never used that term. They found his Somerset Maugham Evelyn War style of clothing outre, even though they tried to disguise their ridicule. I found Derek's clothing rather dapper and stylish, but my appreciative sentiments vis-à-vis Derek's sartorial sense were greeted with, yes, you would say that, wouldn't you? Anything to be quirky. There was some rolling of the eyes in the room at that remark, and I replied, well, yes, almost anything, within the bounds of English decency, of course. That caused mirth in the room, and Todd returned to his work looking as if he was trying to crochet a mudguard with his eyebrows. Todd had lived down his childish prank in Nettlemere Court, and there was no reason why he and Veranda could not have got on well with Derek Crow. Derek Crow was, after all, uniformly cordial and genial with all. The problem was that I had a social connection with Derek and Susan Crow. We had dinner together a few times every term and Det mostly accompanied me. Derek obviously found me a pleasant, hard-working student and he took no objection at all to my surrealistic projects. After all, I was to become an art school lecturer on a foundation course somewhere. There was no need for me to produce a mainstream illustration folder and Derek understood that quite well. In point of fact, my folder was developing in an ideal manner for someone who would have to guide students in a multidisciplinary environment. Roderick Peters no longer sided with Todd and Veranda in their dislike of me. Even before, he'd not been the kind of man who would fuel disharmony. Roderick Peters, although he'd warmed to me at Nettlemere Court, still found me a little too weird for his taste. He had no taste for Monty Python. He had no great love of surrealism either if surrealism left the canvas and entered conversation or sartorial expression. He disliked Salvador Dali for that reason. It may have been that I wasn't an illustrator. I was a multimedia creator of pictorial mayhem who'd landed in the illustration department 
when I'd have been better suited to another three years on a foundation course. I did once admit to him that this would have been my preference, had it been possible to take a degree structured in that way. It also may have been that I was a product of the 60s, or that I enjoyed puns, as did Derek Crow. Roderick Peters was one of those people who groan when a pun is made, and act as if the pun was some kind of intellectual blasphemy. Roderick thought nothing of groaning at Derek's puns, even though Derek was the head of the illustration department. Derek never took it amiss when Roderick groaned, and if I was there, it simply caused us both further jocularity, at a point directly subsequent to Roderick's escape from the scene of the crime. The next incident was Todd and Veranda's cancellation vis-à-vis Windlecombe Hall. The decision that had to be made as to whether the cuisine on the menu was to be vegetarian or not. Windlecombe Hall could either provide standard fare or vegetarian fare, but not both. We had to vote on the choice of menu. This proved a far more unpleasant experience than I would have expected, even knowing Todd and Veranda to be as they were. To say that Todd and Veranda were decidedly carnivorous would not quite describe their position. They were, however, curiously religious about their diet. They seemed to see vegetarianism as some sort of rebellion against the Church of England. They were coy about expressing the exact nature of their grievance, but it seemed that God had provided animals for us to eat, and that not eating them was akin to blasphemy. Naturally, they raised their hands for the meat menu. They were joined in this by Sylvia Winstanley Greaves, Angela Gray and Linda Essex. That made five votes for the meat menu. Janet Coleridge, Stephanie Lytton-Chatfield, Normanda Riley, Gloria Mythelmroyd, Pamela Beauchamp were vegetarian. That made five votes for the vegetarian menu. Now, I wasn't vegetarian, but, wouldn't you know it, found myself with the casting vote. I'll opt for the vegetarian menu. But you're not vegetarian, Todd stated with evident righteous zeal. I've seen you eating bacon and steak and kidney pie in the canteen. And jolly nice they were too. I never said I was vegetarian, Todd. Then why did you opt for the vegetarian menu? The vote, Todd, unless I'm entirely mistaken, was not to indicate who was vegetarian, but who wanted to opt for the vegetarian menu or for the meat menu. Oh, very convenient, Todd snapped. Always the plausible reply. 
I'll try my best to be implausible next time, Todd. Todd didn't seem to understand my reply and simply continued with his harangue. Just so you can be contrary and make arbitrary decisions that will ruin our time at Windlecombe Hall. You know, Todd, I don't think I'm as complicated as you are. And besides which, Derek is coming. And as you probably know, he's vegetarian. Veranda tried to speak, but merely spluttered probably due to that fact that I'd unexpectedly undermined Todd's position. Ridiculous as it was, it was now terminally deflated. Oh, right, I was forgetting, Linda gasped. I'll happily change to the vegetarian menu too. I don't mind what I eat, really, but it would be insensitive to Derek to go for the meat menu. Stephanie and Angela concurred without another thought, leaving Todd and Veranda outnumbered nine to two. You're probably very pleased with yourself now, Todd sneered. No more than usual, Todd, I sighed, giving in to sarcastic humour. Why did I have to do that? You think you're so very clever, don't you? Todd vituperated. Don't be so obnoxious, Todd. You're acting like a child, Linda responded. I won't have you speaking to Todd in that way, Veranda snapped. It was surprising to hear her speak because she usually remained silent when things became heated. That'll be difficult for you then, Veranda, Linda laughed. But if you don't like it, You'd better advise Todd not to act like a child. This was unprecedented. The unpleasantries had previously only involved Todd and myself. I wondered how it would all turn out. I decided that it might be better if I were not seen to observe the scene too closely for fear of carnage occurring. So you're hiding behind the girls now? Typical, typical. Todd jeered, noting the fact that I had returned to my work. I smiled. I shook my head from side to side without looking up from my work. Todd, if you don't mind, I'm working, so would you please be so very kind as to accept that I can no longer listen? I remembered the words of Dujamrimshe. With each life circumstance, whatever is enacted, stare directly into the enactment with all the senses. Laughter erupted in the room. Veranda fumed almost silently, apart from a few attempts to speak that stifled themselves in inarticulacy. They both stalked out of the room in high dudgeon and were not seen again that day. Oh dear, sighed Gloria. We've really upset them now, haven't we? No, Gloria, I sighed. They've upset themselves. And if anyone's upset them, it would have been me. After all, I was the casting vote, wasn't I? 
Yes, but I slapped Veranda down for being a cretin in defending Todd when he was acting like a four-year-old, Linda countered. Yes, you did, and well said too, but they'll probably overlook that on the basis that I inflamed you or some such thing. And it's true, I could have voted for the meat menu. Yes, you could have done, commented Janet, but you were thinking of Derek Crow, so why should they be upset about that? You were just being considerate. Yes, I was, but consideration of others is not their strong suit, or they'd try harder to be averagely sociable. I know I must be a monstrous irritation to them, but it doesn't seem to occur to them that they're not my favourite specimens of humanity either. I'm not one of these proletarian radicals who hate the upper classes or anything. Two of my best friends were middle, upper middle. But in general, I don't really warm to people who imagine themselves superior. But surely, if you've got that kind of class background, you'd understand something about considering others. So why wouldn't they see your consideration of Derek as, well, as just that? Linda asked. Because, I sighed with a shake of my head, because they will have seen my being considerate to Derek as a devious manoeuvre, deliberately designed to make them look bad whilst making myself look whatever. Oh, Jesus, that is just too stupid, Stephanie groaned. Not what you said, Vic, but I can just see that that's the way they must have seen it, and... I know you really piss them off for reasons that are too mysterious to understand. My understanding is that I annoy them because I'm working class and have the audacity not to tug my forelock to them. I also have the audacity to be eccentric and that upsets them. So, Linda observed, that must have seemed like some kind of coup d'etat. Yep, that's about the shape of it. Anyhow, I wouldn't worry about it. They'll lay all the blame on me, and I'm fine with that. But we all voted for the vegetarian menu too, Normanda volunteered. Not just you. It wouldn't be fair to blame you. That's still fine with me, Manda. I don't need it to be fair. The slogans of Chakawa came to mind. Drive all blames into one. In fact, I smiled, I think it's better that I do get all the blame, as it will make for a better atmosphere. I've got used to Todd and Veranda despising me, so it's nothing that wasn't already there. And you know, I misquoted, as I ain't got nothing, I got nothing to lose. I'm invisible now. I got no secrets to conceal. Bob Dylan, the very same. He's got so many lines that come to mind, just like blues and folk songs too. Roderick Peters, Roderick Peters, lend me your grey mare. 
all along, down along, out along Lee. For I want to go down to Windlecombe Fair with Janet Coleridge, Sylvia Wynne, Stanley Greaves, Manda Riley, Gloria Mythelmroyd, Pamela Beauchamp, Stephanie Lytton Chatfield, Angela Gray, Linda Essex, and old Uncle Derek and all. Good old Uncle Derek and all. That caused laughter from all, which eased the tension in the room as I hoped it would. A song for every occasion, laughed Janet. You're so much more outgoing when Todd's not around. He must really put a crimp on you. Hmm, I pondered. I suppose I do let him do that. But then I think it might be unpleasant for everyone else in the room if I got lively. We'd be exchanging sarcastic invective the live long day and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah, Janet sighed. Yeah, I see that. But you will be lively next week at Windlecombe. That's a promise, I grinned and bid them all farewell.